Hello and welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind, how it works, mental illness and mental health. With me is Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. An important discussion, especially during COVID, is how we reconcile economic priorities like the need to save the economy with other needs like our collective mental health and well-being. Now, is that actually a false dichotomy? Why does it have to be, as it is often uh, is, is pitted, as the economy versus well-being? Why can't we have both? Malcolm Turnbull, when he was Prime Minister, used the term mental wealth to support his government's investments in early child education, youth mental health and healthy ageing. And of course, poor mental health creates a huge economic cost in lost productivity. So should we broaden our focus when we talk about the economy past economic growth and a simplistic notion of the economy comes first to also include the mental wealth of our nation. What would that even mean? How would it help? How would you measure it? One person who often raises issues like these is the economics editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, our guest today, Ross Gittins. G'day, Ross. Thank you very much. G'day, James. So, Ross, every election, the economy looms as a big issue, usually the biggest, because people know how important having work is. Have we got trapped in an, an economy, the economy comes first mentality, do we need to keep reminding ourselves that the purpose of the economy is to serve the people? Well, uh, I guess we do. Uh, it's important to do that uh, because the economy, you know, I mean, I don't know what people think the economy is, but what it is is a bunch of people. If you took all the people in Australia out of the Australian economy, all you'd have left was a lot of machines and a lot of empty buildings. I mean, the really, uh, people are the economy, and for the economy to do well, you've got to you've got to look after the people. And the other and the, and the and the other way of putting it is to say that the only reason you care about the economy is is the extent to which the economy makes people better off, makes them happier. Uh, you know, gives provides them with what they need to live their daily lives. Uh, that's why the economy is very important because the economy is about saying, look, there are all these people, there are lots of dimensions to a person's life. There's the person's health, there's the person's physical health, there's the person's mental health, there's their social relations, but there's also the stuff they do every day. They need to earn income. Almost all of us need to earn income, certainly in our our working years. Uh, and what, what what do we do with that income? We spend it. Well, that's what the economy is, getting and spending. But it's all done by people, and you must never forget that the object of the exercise is to make the people better off. Now, you can get some situations where doing this thing makes some people better off and other people worse off. Then you really have to think about whether that's a good idea. Ian, do you reckon we have at times forgotten the simplistic beauty of what Ross has just described? The economy is about making people better off. Yes, I think we should make Ross the treasurer. (laughs) <laughs> or maybe even the governor of the Reserve Bank. Or, you know, when people talk about the economy and what we're spending on, what really drives me to almost total distraction is we have, right, we're in economic trouble. 
Let's build bridges, airports, buy submarines, buy stuff, more kit, more things, and this will drive the economy in a particular way. And we say, what about spending it on human services, childcare, healthcare, you know, supporting people? Oh, no, that's wasted money. That's a, that's a waste of money. That's not productive. It doesn't return on investment in particular ways. So think a sort of, I don't know what Ross would call it, a rather dry, purist sort of a certain kind of economics perhaps the economics of the last 50 years, has really kind of said, oh, human services, waste of good money, or you should pay for it yourself. And, you know, other stuff, roads, bridges, airports, NBN if it worked, other things, you know, that hard infrastructure or hard jobs is actually what creates economic growth and productivity and then we're all wealthy and then we're all better off. So, so Ross... um is, I mean, there's obviously a humanitarian case toward investing in people's mental health because it stops them having bad mental health and that's inherently good. But is there also an economic case where you can put in front of someone who only cares, cares about numbers that shows them that investing in mental health is a good? Well, really, that's all a bit, that's all a bit silly. Um, if, it's, if, if you say, well, look, it just makes people feel better off, uh, so, so we're not interested in that. We're interested in what makes the economy better off. That's just, that's just craziness. Yeah. I mean, that's just saying this aspect of your life is of no importance, but this aspect over here, the bit where, you know, I, I sell things to people, that's the bit that really matters. They, it all matters. And anyone who says, forget about the economy, it's of no consequence, uh, they're some kind of idiot and no one's going to take much notice of them. But by the same token, if you say, look, I've got a great idea. Let's all get rich. We're all going to be terribly unhappy. We're going to, we're going to go through a lot of suffering, but we'll all have many more, much more things. Well, I don't think if I put it like that, not many people would say, yeah, that's a great idea. But there's a, if you're not careful, that's what you get sold. Yeah. I'm well, going to make you rich. You're going to be unhappy, but that's okay because I got rich making you rich. Yes. Well, you've obviously met a few corporate lawyers. Um, Ian, when you talk about the concept of, of mental wealth, what do you mean? So partly pick up Ross's point, we can't not talk about economics. People might think it's a bit funny talking about economics on Minding Your Mind, but Ross's point's an important one. Often in the human services world, we have the other sort of one-eyed approach, which is, you know, it doesn't matter what you spend money on or where it comes from or where it goes in a somewhat sort of magic pudding kind of way that actually, and also in our area, there are smart spends and others, others that we would argue do return on the investment. The, the concept came out of the UK Government Office of Science in 2008, unfortunately, just before the global financial crisis. And it was about what should governments support that led to the greatest growth, not just as individuals, but collectively, so the social and economic resources of a nation. Another great Malcolm Turnbull line we got him to say, we got him to say, he said, kindly said while he was Prime Minister, was Australia's greatest resources of the future was inside our heads. It wasn't to be dug up and sold out of Western Australia. So that kind of way of seeing the world, you know, historically, uh, was, it really underrated the potential for human capability to generate wealth to generate the services, to generate the products, to generate the transactions that drive a productive economy. And that, you know, Australia needed to rethink that kind of idea at the time. So that sort of thinking 
came out of looking at all the sort of things that might contribute. Some of you mentioned in the introduction, James, early childhood care. We all value education. We kind of all understand we've got to support education for everybody to be productive down the track. But also other things, and I'm interested in Rotz's view, things like, which I personally hate, the intergenerational report. Old people, they just cost a lot of money, you know, and they're going to cost so much money. It's distinct from actually healthy brain ageing and healthy ageing and being productive. You know, I love the idea that Ross said, you know, we all continue to work and as we know from um, our own podcast here, one of the other lines we've got Malcolm Turnbull to say is never retire. He got retired a bit early by his friends, but, you know, for the rest of us, never retire because staying socially engaged is also often economically productive. And a lot of the jobs that people do when they're older, caring, childcare, contributing, even though they're not paid in the same way, contribute to the collective productivity in a sort of broad sense of the society in which we live. And the issues we've been discussing recently, James, the socially cohesive society is actually more able to respond to many challenges like COVID or like economic recessions or like other threats in particular ways and often is not monetized in particular ways. So our engagement with this is to sort of, in a sort of funny, softy way to talk economics, to call it mental wealth as distinct from mental health, is an active attempt to engage with that economic discussion and what do we actually put value on. So it'd be really interesting to hear what Ross of thinks about wealth. such yes, a dodgy right. concept. Yeah, well, I think it's, I think it's a, a good phrase. Uh, the, another way to put it might be mental capital, uh, because when economists have, have become a lot more receptive to the need to spend money on education is when they invented, somebody invented the term human capital. Now, human capital is what's inside people's heads. It's about how you know how well educated they are, how how uh, skilled they are at doing things and knowing things, uh, and these days knowing things is often more important than uh, doing things for for the economy. It's usually better paid. So you could call it mental capital, yeah, or you could call it mental wealth. But mental wealth is is not a bad idea because it's one uh, one of the things it's saying is. If you've got a lot of ordinary wealth, you've got a lot of money, you've got a lot of shares, you own a lot of property, that's fine. Uh, but if you're not enjoying life... What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. Uh, and, so, and so, I mean, you, you don't really have to talk very hard to convince people that they, they want to be in a situation where they are enjoying their life, where they're not suffering from a lot of... Uh, a lot of physical illness or a lot of mental illness. I mean, doctors have already won the battle when it comes to uh, physical health. Everyone knows uh, that's important. Everyone knows that if if you're dead, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are. And if you're uh, so sick that you can never get out of bed, all that wealth is not worth a lot to you either. Uh, it's a thing about physical health is that we can all see it. Mental health is a little less obvious, and it's had a stigma attached to it that we don't like to talk about as much. Although that's breaking down, fortunately, and it's as it breaks down that attitudes towards mental health and the importance of mental health will change and people will say, why isn't the government spending more on this? I agree with you that if you ask people if they want to be happy, they'd see that as very, very important. 
But does that translate to the decision makers, particularly when politicians want to make decisions where you can see tangible results before the next election, whereas these investments in mental wealth, education, childcare, increased funding of mental health might pay dividends in five to ten years? Yes, well, that that is true, and that's a very big issue. Uh, It's about saying some of these things that have longer-term payoffs – why would you spend? Why would you spend a lot of money on it? The, the great temptation for politicians, and it's built into our system of regular elections, is to say, "I want results now," or "I want to be seen to be getting results." Or, uh, and so, I one of the things that means is, you can. It's much more easier to persuade a politician that you need a new road or a new bridge or a new building. And guess what? You, we're going to have this ribbon and you can stand up there and cut it and we'll take your photo. Hey, that's good. Some of the other things that governments spend on, it's much, they're, they're not as photogenic uh, and, yeah. and they do suffer from that. And, and that uh, can be a problem. And that's something that we've all got to, overcome and got to say, listen, you know, spending on early childhood education, for example, that has a payoff over the rest of the child's life. Uh, and we ought to be really putting enormous amount of effort. Getting, getting our kids off to a good start is a very smart thing to do. It will have a big payoff down the track for those kids. Yeah. And the first thing is, how does it help the person involved? And the next one is, is there some kind of flow-over benefit from the person to the people around him? And often, of course, there is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, that, and the economy is kind of built on that, that everyone's out there earning a living, but, but when you put all that together, we're all better off because of, of the work that each of us do. Yeah, Ian, you're always in Canberra trying to persuade politicians to spend more money on mental health. Have you seen that reluctance to invest in in long-term things over short-term things, and how how can it be overcome? Yes, you see it every day of the week. Right at the moment, we're only talking about the next election, what might influence it or not. I want to take up a number of the issues that that Ross has arisen. One's the mental capital one first. And in fact, in the same UK Government Office of Science report, they did have the chart of mental capital, which is a great chart because from minus nine months to 25 years, you're building the individual's mental capital. And then for the next 70 years, you're trying to hang on to it <laughs> the rest of the time. You know, there's a sort of developmental phase that happens to a particular thing. My honourable daughter, number three, now works for the Reserve Bank. She was about 22 at the time. And it has this peak at about age 22. And she said, see, Dad, I told you I was the most valuable person from a mental capital point of view. I said, that's okay, <laughs> sweetheart. We've invested in you for the 22 years and nine months. Now it's your turn to repay the rest of the investment for the rest of the thing. You know, the interesting thing about that, though, is it has a very individualistic kind of thing. It's the individual in a particular way. And this reemerged, and I was partly responsible with Alan Fells, of the mental health uh, recommendations to the Productivity Commission, which has just completed last year. And one of the key economists in the middle of that said, look, what we care about is individuals, okay, and they're free to operate. We're going, yeah, like we kind of get that, making every individual okay, but what about making the society okay? I mean, society itself isn't just a set of random individuals running around in a particular way. So I think the other thing we've struggled with with economists' kind of view is this idea of this autonomous sort of individual operating in a wider thing. <laughs> and if you could just make them okay, 
you know, with health, with education, a minimum sort of opportunity in life, everything else should be fine. You know, somehow the economy will happen. And we do run into another really interesting contrast. It's playing out in COVID right now. We've got to go out and risk your health to save the economy. And clearly, and this is from the Treasurer down, you know, in New South Wales, we're seeing this played out at the moment. We've got to get out there as quick as we can, 70%, which is only 56%, you know, because the economy must be saved. And people are going, hang on a second. (laughs) I think I'd rather be alive. Couldn't we just actually wait till we got the vaccine and take it a bit longer and spend a bit more money, you know, run up a bit more debt, that terrible debt truck, you know, run up a bit more debt and stay safe? So I think we still have these things going on every day with some kind of economic perspective sort of called rational or whatever, well, Ross, plays yeah, out. What, Ross, what, what do you think of that in that? In that well, what I think of it is that there's a lot of truth in what you say, but don't blame it on economists because economists aren't politicians and business people aren't economists or politicians. And that's a kind of business view, which really comes from the individual, which says, listen, my business is just about closed. You guys closed it. I'm not making any money. I'm working hard enough to just hold the whole thing together until we start up again. And as far as I'm concerned, the sooner we start up again, the better. Don't worry about anything else. Just get going so I can get my business going and I can start making money again. Well, that's fine. That's, you know, it's not surprising for a business person to say that. And sometimes they won't won't say, you see, this is the trick. They won't say... All I care about is my business, so just open up the economy so I can start making money again. They're not going to say that. They're going to say, oh, the economy. Oh, it's the economy. When you hear people talking about the economy and not talking about the people in the economy, then then you're often hearing people who are saying, look, all I want is my bit. I'm not worried about any other bits, but I can't say that, so I'll just say it's the economy. Uh, And I want to say that if you listen to the main message that's been coming out of economists, not all economists, but the great majority of them, and coming out loud and strong uh, since we entered the pandemic, what the sensible economists say is, listen, it's very clear, the economy matters, our health matters, Our health probably matters a bit more than the economy, not that we could ever do without an economy, but if you make me choose, I'd I'd prefer to stay alive, even if I had trouble finding my next meal. So what the economists are saying is, listen, fix the health bit first and then worry about the economy. And if you hear anybody saying something other than that, they're not a they're not a person who's thought about why are we doing all this? We're doing it for the people. Yeah, and we're not, doing it for the people in general, not just me. It's not a binary decision. It's not the economy or the health it, or, or your health. No. It's a continuum. And we're, and we're trying is. to find the right balance. Yes, so it's also at- about priorities. And it's also about saying, look, how about we get the economy growing, let it, let, we get it really roaring along, and then we'll start worrying about all these people that are dying. That wouldn't fly. No but- politician will actually do that. No politician would actually think that the electorate would buy a proposition that said, we'll worry about all the do- people who are dying later. Sure, sure. But uh, one thing that a lot of people say is, look, what I'm worried about 
I mean, this you, you know, job keeper, job seeker, job saver, they're all of, of some help. But what I'm worried about is that my kids are going to be saddled with a massive, massive, massive debt from this year and a half of COVID that'll impact upon them for the whole of their working lives. What's your response to that? And that's why we want to open up quicker. Uh, well, there are problem people who think that way. That's because they don't know, they don't know much in economics. <laughs> Economists don't worry about the debt nearly as much as everybody else does. Right. Because the thing is, people understand how households work. And they come to these, the order, they set a simple assumption that the economy is just one big household. Well, it's not. The economy, the nation, works in different ways to a household. The, all, of, all the households together, as the economy, represented by their government, can do things that an individual household can't do. Uh, one of the things with debt is... We know to worry about debt because we know we're going to die, and we've got to get it. We've got to get the got to get the house paid off before we die. In fact, we really need to get it paid off before we retire. That's fine. That's true. People do die, and all the people in a particular family right now come along a long enough time in the future they'll be dead. They don't want to be leaving debts, but. But that's not the economy. The economy is everybody who happens to be alive now. And the economy in 50 years' time will be all the people who are still alive then, which won't include a lot of us and certainly won't include me. Uh, but the, the, point, the point about that is so that economies don't die and so they don't have to get the debt paid off before right. they die. They can just keep it running along. They can yeah, keep Ian? it rolling on. Ian? So, so, Ross, what do you make of the politics of debt? You know, we all long enough have seen the debt truck, the debt problem, the debt thing. Clearly it plays out at a political level. I mean, I assume it sort of taps into that individual worry. I've got to make a confession here. I'm from the Thomas Jefferson School of Public Debt. I don't know if people know the story of Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> he ran up a huge debt personal debt, built the University of Virginia at Charlottesville, invested <laughs> in everything else, and then left the debt to his kids. <laughs> He's a national hero, right? <laughs> Made all these public institutions and said to the kids, you can pay it off. Apparently the kids weren't very happy. I've told my own kids this. But it's in the spirit of Ross's thing that, you know, I don't assume I'm ever going to live without debt, you know, but there's a lot of things to enjoy along the way and a lot of good things to do if you don't get the idea that you're ever going to balance the books. But in the public interest, I used the Jefferson interest, he was clearly acting in the public interest, not just in a sort of narrow, my family, my particular thing, and perhaps in a more responsible way. Perhaps his kids would have preferred that. You know, but Ross, what do you make of it, the politicisation of the debt thing? As if, I mean, it's completely obvious that we're all spending money all the time without ever actually totally balancing the books. And as you say, the economy doesn't die, marvellous thing, it doesn't die of the virus, it keeps going. You know, what do you make of the politicisation of that, that that – it's so been well, so much part of political rhetoric for 40 years or 50 years, balancing the books, balancing the budget. Well, what I make of it is that, that when one side was in power and they, were, they racked up a fair bit of debt, it, the other side of politics saw an advantage in making a great fuss about the debt. And it's not actually hard to make people worried about debt because... If it was your debt in your household, you would be worried about it and you'd be thinking about how can I get this paid off? 
and I can't leave it to my kids. Uh, but that's the difference between one household and and an economy composed of uh, 25 million people. So do you think the economic perspective is fundamentally then very selfish? Going back to what I was saying earlier on, and I've heard economists stand up in public and talk about the individual, you know, and the individual's capacity, capability, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I'm sure in many other schools of economics, and it's just in recent times, you know, modern monetary theory talks about universal incomes and whatever else. Clearly there's been an emergence away from such an individual, individualistic sort of perspective about the way the economy could be managed. What, what do you make of that more recent discourse, which does seem sort of more collective, what's, more, what's in all of our interests rather than necessarily me as a businessman or me as an individual accumulating assets? We, we need individuals to accept responsibility for their own affairs, but at the same time we also need a situation where we as a community, via our elected government look after various issues that are better looked after collectively than they are left to individuals. Uh, I mean, we could say, well, look, you know, I feel sorry for all those people who haven't got jobs, but uh, we're not going to have unemployment benefits. We're just going to uh, hope that their family can look after them. Well, actually, um, Australians expect a better standard of living than that they expect better treatment if they happen to lose their job and take a while finding the next one. Uh, and uh, it's actually a good thing for... It's a kind of insurance where the state provides insurance for people when they go through a period where they can't, can't find a job and don't have any other source of income. Do we leave them to starve? Do we make them all into beggars on the street? No, we do. We we look after them, uh, and that's uh, it, it. Is in fact a kind of social insurance. In fact, in a lot of countries it's called social insurance, uh, and it's a good thing because it means I don't have to worry as much about losing my job because I know that I will get some minimum assistance when that happens. Similarly, I don't have to worry about working until I die because they've got this thing called the age pension and when I'm too old to work and no one wants to give me a job, I'll get, I'll get looked after, uh, especially to the extent that I haven't managed to save enough. Uh, so we have all of those protections built in. Provide, we, we provide them collectively and every rich country does it and we do it for very good reasons. So there, every economy is a combination of things that we leave to the individual and things that we provide as a community collectively, usually via the government, and don't just leave things to charity. So, so during the pandemic, we tried a, a number of new things, like a higher degree of universal income support, business support for struggling businesses, welfare enhancements, lots of working from home. In a way, you know, the pain of all that, of doing it very quickly, could be perhaps something that we benefit from after the pandemic um, is, is, well, controlled at least. What have we learnt from all these things that we can – we can use in the future. Well, well, we've learnt that it's we've learnt that it's better to be alive and not dead. We've learnt that it's better 
to be healthy and not have long COVID, uh, and that and that ensuring that that happened comes at a cost. One of the, one of the things you learn is that there are a lot of good things in the world. Most of them you have to pay for in some form or another. And for example, uh, we all decided that we wanted the government to do all it could to stop the spread of the virus last year. And the best suggestions coming from the uh, relevant doctors was to say social distancing, keep people apart. Uh, now, that's fine. That's right. It worked. It does work. It's, it's working even now while we wait to get vac- vaccinated. Uh, but it comes at a cost. So we, we, we get the benefit and we think the benefit's worth the cost, so we bear the costs. And now maybe we'll work a little bit harder. Maybe we'll pay a bit more. T- Here's a th- terrible, frightening thought. We might have to pay a bit more tax so that we can stop that debt getting a bit too big. Or we, uh, we might have to pay a bit more tax to help all the people bearing the other cost of the, the method that we use to try and stop the spread of the virus, which is social distancing. You don't have to think about social distancing for, for very long before you realise that it might make some people very unhappy. Yeah, right. Ian, thoughts? We are such social beings. I mean, Ross did in the middle of all that just raise the two things that we raise constantly in this podcast. To be mentally healthy, you need two things, personal autonomy. You need, and that's personal responsibility, capacity to act, but you need social connection. And if you lose the balance between both, you're in big trouble. I want to ask Ross a further question, which Sam Moston raised on this podcast a while ago. How do we get governments and the community to focus on transition to investing in the care economy? not just the kind of traditional infrastructures, sort of production economy. So investing in childcare, investing in education, investing in healthcare, which might have that tax more money. It might have the tax, you know, the collectively we need to spend on that, which actually has very high returns on investment, generates more jobs, generates, you know, a lift in, in living standards for many more people. And, the, you know, the hard data about that's pretty clear cut. But we seem to lose the argument, and the place we seem to lose the argument most is in Treasury finance. I don't know. That's a bit unfair, actually. The current Secretary of the Treasury, I think, is quite open to those kind of discussions. But in that business kind of uh, world, what's seen as the business end, the high end of town or whatever type argument, that, in fact, there's some pretty important choices on the table at the moment and the longer-term ones, clear around climate change and the Reserve Bank governors commented and others about this this week. You know, these are things we need to seriously think about in the longer term but they probably require a change in sort of emphasis from what's been out there over much of the last 40 or 50 years. Do you think, Ross, we're up for the change? Yes. Uh, it's, it will take a while, but it's happening. And, uh, I mean, it's happening because the thing is, it's easier to figure out the importance of things you can see. And when you're talking about things you can't see, you need to think about them a lot more before you realise that just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's not important. Uh, and the, the more sophisticated the electorate gets and says, listen, I care about my kids being well educated and if you, if you say you believe in economic growth, most, a lot of that economic growth is going to come out of the skills and education and skills that are 
is acquired by the Australian workforce. So you ought to be spending as much as is necessary. Now, of course, it's not just a question of throwing money at it. You've got to make sure the money's well spent. We could spend a lot more effort making sure that the money governments spend is well spent uh, than we do. And uh, that's a point that I've been making lately. Look, there's been too much emphasis on let's keep government small when what the real emphasis should be let's keep government good. That that it mm. that it's it, it's spending money. Maybe it's spending more now than it was before, but it's spending that money effectively. It's doing good. We're getting benefits from it. We're getting benefits. We're building up capital. We, you know, we we got brighter, better educated kids today than we had thirty years ago. That's that's capital for all of us uh, because we're investing in. Uh, the next generation who just happen to be our children and grandchildren. So we're actually quite interested in the topic. So the human capital thing, Ross, which is, as you've emphasised, is at the heart of this kind of discussion. You know, and having made the odd, as James said, James loves Canberra. I've unfortunately had some bad experiences. <laughs> and they've usually been, you know, they start in Woden, which is where the Department of Health is, for those who don't know it. And they say, oh, look, that's all very well, Ian. But up there in the central agencies, you know, Treasury, Finance, etc., we're just these. We're just these spenders. They're the earners, you know. <laughs> you know, I don't know the leaners and lifters type argument, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, you're the people who just spend money. We have really struggled with that the human capital kind of idea, uh, in in the way that we've set up agencies and the way we evaluate and prioritise those things. It's been, I think, it's been a really interesting. I mean, my own view and, and what we're involved in now, and I see much more overtly discussed is what is it that humans really do value? You know, what is it that actually value? But uh, and I don't think any of us dispute the importance of a functioning economy. Of course, we need an economy that does function to support those particular issues. But the, it seems to get pretty superficial at times about, and Ross is, I think, the nail right on the head, the idea that small government, anyone who wants to have a small government, you want to go to a COVID hospital at the moment that doesn't have any beds? You want to go to a country that doesn't have any vaccines? Guess what? They've all got small governments. You know, actually, small government services translates into not having in place and not planning in place. I mean, tragically, really practical examples. We saw this in part in Victoria last year where the public health infrastructure, which you often don't see, was not fit for purpose. The actual IT systems to actually track the virus and everything else were not in place. So, you know, the lack of preparedness in a really simple physical health way wasn't there let alone in things like the mental health and development type issues, which in some ways are harder to see. But I think as Ross has just emphasised, most of us do see our own kids, ourselves, our own grandkids, our own environments. We see those who are struggling. I suppose the issue is to, in a concrete way, demonstrate that that actually is improved, that the extent to which we invest in it drives better outcomes in it, you know, that we then do value. So I think... You know, I do feel we are still lost to some degree. I had one success once, Good. James, when Helen Coonan yeah. was the assistant treasurer. And I was going on and on and on and on a bit more about the you said, oh, Ian, would you shut up? Can we go back to talking oh, good. about people? Turn the <laughs> tables. I said, well, I said, well, yeah. I said, okay, okay. When treasurers and assistant treasurers stop talking about the economy and the value for money and the hopeless spend out of health and education, yeah, yeah. I'll very stop good, talking about economics. Good. You know, kind of. But it's very, um, very unusual. What I want to know is this, or what we want to know is, 
what do you do to take care of your own mental health? Is it something you think about and consciously try and maintain? And if so, how? Uh, (laughs) Getting personal now. By taking lots of holidays. Um, I actually have the most uh, rut-like job that it's possible to have. Uh, I write these columns. They appear on a certain part of the paper on a certain uh, day, and my life's been like that for about 40 years, uh, which means that when I wake up in the morning, the only question I have to ask myself is, what day of the week is it? <laughs> when I know that, I know what's going to happen for the rest of the day. Right. Uh, and so I actually quite enjoy that rut, but I also enjoy getting out of it. Uh, when I was younger, I used to put a lot of emphasis on um, making sure that I didn't suffer from burnout. And one of the rules that I made for myself to try and reduce burnout was to say, I take all my holidays every year and I go away. I go somewhere. Mm. But, uh, and I, and that was one of my rules. My wife also made a rule that uh, said, I want you home by seven o'clock every night. And I thought to myself, that's not a bad rule. I'll tell everyone I have to go home because my wife made me. Well, particularly as a journalist where you start later. So, you know, it's probably like. Yeah. Five o'clock for for um, uh, most people, and but and, you know, it is. Uh, I one of the things I haven't done, uh, and I haven't found it necessary, is to sort of find a a real you know uh, pay, a strong paywall between my work and my non-work, my leisure. Uh, I let I let it spill over, and and uh, I'm actually that's okay. Because, 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 uh, so I might go out to the movies on a Tuesday afternoon, but then I might be working on a Saturday afternoon and I don't worry about that. Uh, I think I've been pretty good at being able to turn off when, when I've stopped working and, and, uh, needing a break. Uh, apart from that, the, the other thing I, I think are very important is, Take your holidays, go somewhere different, somewhere, and do something different. And then I find that I'm always looking forward to getting back to my rut. Oh, very good. That sounds fantastic. Uh, take a holiday, go away, unless it is against the law uh, via public health orders. And finally, I don't think you have any difficulty doing this. Uh, can you recommend one book? that those interested in what we've been discussing today might find out a little bit more. Just one. Can be one of your own or someone else? Uh, well, there's a good introductory tech, uh, introductory book written by um, Quiggan, John Quiggan, mm-hmm. called uh, Economics in Two Lessons. Uh, and that's actually, it's it's a little bit intellectual. It's written by an academic, but it does actually explain to you a lot of what economics is on about. Uh, I, th- I thought that was a really good book. I think we've got to say, James, for those who are not watching this live, that behind uh, Ross's left ear yeah. is and a about happy 100. economist written by <laughs> a Ross Kittens. And it- yes, which might actually And uh, about 100 other books too. Uh, Ross, look, thank you so much for your time and your thoughts. It's been very illuminating. Uh, much appreciated. 
My pleasure. And if you have any questions or comments or want to suggest further topics for uh, us to wrestle with, do get in touch at mindingyourmind.com two at gmail.com that's minding your mind numeral two at gmail.com and minding your mind is supported by future generation global and the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health further help is available from headspace beyond blue head to health and lifeline just google them you can call lifeline on one three double one one four talk to you next time